0: Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast, and in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life everybody. It's Kat from Movement for Modern Life and I'm so chuffed that you found this episode of our podcast. Today we are talking about Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and how relevant are they to today's modern life. Well, it turns out that they couldn't be any more relevant for helping us get through all of the worries of the modern world and especially even thinking about The crises that we're all facing—environmental crisis, the pandemic, all the different bits of overwhelm—turns out Patanjali is quite the guy for helping us out. So, in this really fun and interesting tour de force of some of the ancient wisdom that we find in the Yoga Sutras, you will hear how well how I and Raki think that they will fit into our modern life. So this is Raki Jasani, who is teacher and team member of Movement for Modern Life and Movement for Modern Life and all Round Brain Box, talking to me, asking some sometimes dumb, sometimes pertinent questions, sometimes questions that will make you feel a bit better about yourself, sometimes crazy things. But I really hope you enjoy this little chat. We certainly did. Hello, everybody. This is Kat, and um, I am joined here by Raki. Racky, say something. Yes. I, and and, and it, we're at that sort of stage, I think, in life now where we're all so used to everything going wrong online all the time that that's just how it goes. So I'm going to attempt to show Raki. Oh, oh, I, I think, think actually it's, it's going to work. work this time, Racky. Yay. Yeah. Uh, no. I can see myself, though, on screen. Okay. I'm not sure if everyone can see, because I can see two of me, which
1: is disturbing. Okay. I, I can just see myself. So, oh, I can see. I've, I've got a, a side thing going as well on my um, iPad, and we are both in stream, so. Are we? Yes. Yeah, yes. It works. So, um, right. right. How, so how are you, Raki? I am
0: very well. How, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I felt a little bit unwell this week, it, it has to be said. But I have been enjoying the philosophy course a lot. I've been following along. I haven't actually felt up to doing the practices. I've been doing a lot of restorative yoga because I'm not feeling myself right now. But um, the philosophy I'm loving and yeah. I wanted to just take this opportunity to have a bit of a delve in here because I know that you are you are pretty good at this. That this philosophy stuff and my brain isn't particularly working with not feeling <laughs> really well. So Rocky, talk talk me through. Yeah. So is. your philosophy got to do with modern life <laughs> anyway.
1: I thought that it would be really interesting if we started out this evening, if I just put a little bit of um the yoga sutras into context because uh it yoga philosophy is interesting and uh, I delve into it because it fascinates me but it also frustrates me sometimes because it isn't some of the concepts aren't really easy to grapple with but I think there are some really clear reasons why so I thought I'd do a little bit of context what's you know how does this relate to modern life and, and in fact I think it might relate to modern life in lots of, of different ways because I think true to the traditions it it isn't a fixed thing so I think when things get written down we think um, and I was, I was about to use the term gospel truth and of course that comes from the fact that the Bible is written down and so it, it, it's as though that is fixed somehow. And the Yoga Sutras come from an oral tradition, uh, and what we have are 196 pithy little phrases. So they call the sutras because the word comes. Um, in fact, our our word sutra, as in a stitch, comes from the word sutra. So it's a little aphorism that is can be really thought provoking. Uh, there are there aren't any verbs, so. It's a series of phrases that you have to kind of try and decode. And traditionally, this would have been done with a teacher. So we have loads of gaps. So the, here, here are little things to uh, riddles, if we like. I, I don't think anyone actually calls them riddles, so I'll probably get the yoga police on, on my back. But but they are a bit like a riddle to Never me. far away from you, Raki. <laughs> um, but... It is something we need to decode. And traditionally, people would have decoded them with the help of a teacher. What we do have still are some commentaries. So there is one theory that the Yoga Sutras um, were... uh, The the, the first commentary was actually also written by um, Patanjali. So there are loads of mysteries, which I, I sometimes think I get... I get equally fascinated by the history and the mystery of these things, uh, as as well as what they say. So we don't know much about Patanjali. There are three major texts by someone called Patanjali, but uh, I think it's pretty conclusive they're not the same Patanjali. So there was.
0: He is referred to as the sage Patanjali. Isn't
1: he, he is. He is, and he also that there, there is a sage Patanjali that wrote um a, a lot of texts around Ayurveda which is the sister science of yoga uh, there was a Patanjali who wrote a Sanskrit grammar and there is a Patanjali who has put together uh these aphorisms so they are there are four chapters in the yoga sutras and uh it's really the first two that people focus on so the first one has got lots of things that people may have heard of, like the definition of yoga. So uh, it it starts out by saying, uh, now is the time for yoga. And yoga is the stilling of the fluctuations of the mind. So in fact, that first chapter is really about the importance of meditation. And the second chapter tells us a little bit about, uh, about practice and how we should practice it. But again, it's a little bit confusing. And really, it keeps coming back to meditation more so than physical practice. Um, and within this are nested the, the eight limbs that we're looking at. But they're, they're a small part of a very small uh, series of 196 phrases and um so the the eight limbs are are in fact just just one of these um phrases the third chapter is about magical powers so it's really out there it's um you know I love the magical power <laughs> so it's about if you meditate on the pole star you will understand you will see the nature of the constellations and and you you will if you do the right practices you gain the strength of an elephant. And so all sorts of things happen. So, again, no one knows what this is. Is it real? Are they metaphors? Is it a guide to practice? Is it, is it a little bit of clever marketing? We don't know. Is it sort of people saying, come, in, come and be part of this amazing yoga school and get magic? Because who doesn't want magical powers, really? Um, and then the final chapter is concerned with liberation and in this case I, I don't know I find Patanjali's presentation of liberation a, a little bit bleak because uh, and this and this is where it gets a little bit like your head will begin to and I was just going to so say, your head probably already hurts Cat, if you're not feeling great so that this is the bit where it can feel a bit frustrating because that ancient view of um of the nature of reality is a little bit different to ours. So mm-hmm. in in Patanjali's yoga, and and I just wanted to add here that yoga was a philosophical school um, as well. So
0: no, stop right there, Aki, because we have got some questions. Okay. Now you have said yoga is a philo- philosophical school. We're going to hold that thread so yeah. that can come back. Yeah. yeah. We've got loads of great questions from Emma. Okay. And this question now relates to that bit. How did yoga philosophy impact on other religions as they developed? Yeah. Okay. So
1: I um, yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit um, about that. So um, and in fact, Emma also asks about Buddhism
0: as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, you've got the questions,
1: great. So, so um in fact, what was going on, um, and, and this is what I find really interesting, is that I think, again, we think um, that we think we're, we're very international and connected. And I think I was really interested to learn they were very connected in ancient um, India as well. So that there was a, a certain amount of travel. And in fact, um, was another thing that and i'm coming to the Buddhism i haven't forgotten it the, the thing one thing that really fascinates me is that the ancient Greeks also um, traveled over and 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 got to the himalayas so that there that, that there is definitely some influence between um ancient greek um philosophy and um and ancient indian thought as well so it was fluid people traveled and people talked and so in ancient india here we are there's a school there are lots of school of philosophy philosophy people are thinkers um no different to to us you know we have people that are proponents of capitalism or communism whatever ideologies you you want to take people meet talk cross-fertilize ideas take a bit from here and there so a very traditional um which is known as the orthodox philosophy um it it relates to the, the 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 vedas um and it's known as vedic philosophy and that's where the yoga philosophy so Patanjali comes in however at the same time there were the Jains and the Buddhists who were developing their own um thoughts and there are some um theories that in fact Patanjali's uh, yoga sutras were a response to Buddhism which was becoming very very popular and what and we- about was that was was that in China no, Buddhism. it, it okay. was in india so uh, both
0: in the indian subcontinent okay
1: yeah, yeah. so the 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 buddha um w- was uh an indian prince and he uh I, I, when he was born um people um well his fa- his family were like oh precious little prince mustn't see any suffering so the buddha was kind of hidden Away. well he wasn 't hidden away, suffering was hidden from him, and he was a curious little boy, and he wanted to know more and I think he he went out into the town and he saw people suffering, he thought, oh, this is dreadful what's what 's going on and so his life was all about how how do we escape from suffering and in the end, I think his conclusion was you don 't life is suffering once you 're born, you suffer so both buddhism um, and yoga philosophy, as it was at the time, and I, I'm, I'm deliberately not calling it um, Hinduism, which I think developed as uh, as a religion per se a, a little bit later or is designated as a religion um, later. I'm so careful with these things because you do get the yoga... There'll be some philosophical expert watching this who'll write in and go, oh, my God, she knows nothing. Um, but, but so the Buddha developed, again practices of meditation and he he really talked about the middle path so it's just about not being extreme but when we read the yoga sutras we find a lot of the same teaching so in the yoga sutras and one of my um favorite sutras is about how on earth do you deal with other people and mm. um, and potentially talks about um you know feeling Uh, feeling happiness for for those that are happy and and being just kind of uninterested in those that are, are, are full of vice so there are lots and lots of links um between um buddhism and and patanjali's yoga sutra all the way up to what happens when you die and i think those very early buddhists were about poof you you vanish and the question is what is then reincarnated but with Patanjali's uh, sutras as well when he talks about liberation so basically he's talking about being liberated from your body So the bit that isn't the body so the ancient yogis believed that your mind, your thoughts are all part of the body there is just this bit that isn't your body that we might call the soul now but it, it, it doesn't even have awareness because that is material and that is also part of the body when you die it you know, it is liberated or reincarnated. So there is a lot of um, cross-fertilization. And, and and these two things were taking place or, or at the same time. And the, the other thing that, that might be relevant for us to think about today is also the role of a yogi mm-hmm. in life. So I think in ancient India, it, got, it became really... Fashionable to kind of leave, leave your family, leave your village, and off you go. You became an um, ascetic yogi. You were looking into the nature of things. You had a, a kind of life for a hermit and a nomad. And in fact, a, a lot of Buddhist monks started to do that. And it all became about you know you were so dedicated to your practice. And in fact, one of the other um, really important texts of yogic philosophy, the the Gita. Um, also addresses this because suddenly they found that all these young men were were you know going off to to you know drop out um and and suddenly they were like, hmm that's no good. who's going to look after things so we then get this introduction of the sense that you can be both a yogi and a householder, so i'm uh, that's how that happened. And that's how that happened. I mean, basically, mm. people were pissing off and hanging out and, you know, they were becoming uh, ancient. They were dropping you know, out. Dropping out, dropping out and becoming, you know, an ancient version of a, of a hippie. And then suddenly it's like, well, someone needs to come and do the work and, you know, live a life. So maybe you can do both. And,
0: and that's a really interesting
1: concept for yeah.
0: us. It, again, to interrupt, we have a question on another thread. Again, this is Emma. What yeah. are the
1: yamas and the niyamas? What are the yamas and the niyamas? Yeah, yeah so the equation. Yeah, it's a brilliant question. So the yamas and uh, the niyamas. Uh, and Emma's, um, Emma's asking more questions on this thread as well. <laughs> I'll them. Um, so the yamas,
0: questions.
1: the yamas and the niyamas are... Um, Basically, they sometimes known as observances and restraints. So we've been looking at the yamas, which are uh which are the restraints. So that they're often translated as non-violence, non-stealing, non, non is put in front of that. And in fact, in the Sanskrit, it's ahimsa. So ahimsa is violence and ahimsa is non-violence. So you, you often have that um structure. Um, and the, the uh, niyamas are the observances, so it's things like contentment, cleanliness. So one is more about what you restrain your, from doing, you don't do, yeah. And the other one is what you do. So you practice contentment, you practice um, uh, cleanliness, uh, for mm. example. Um, so uh, so so those are the yamas and niyamas. But they are there are lots of yamas and niyamas. So I think we also uh, sometimes get hung up on these. Eight. but there are loads there are loads of different um systems have their own so there there are more and there are things sometimes things like duty come in um so lots of different uh the ancient the ancient yogis um and in ancient um in uh, India they seem to love lists so uh, well we love lists don't we, we get mm. that's, L-
0: that's L- to the
1: front of every blog <laughs> yeah uh, exactly so social media loves lists we love lists we like to classify things and so there are lots of lists and I was looking into this a bit more and I, I did get you know there are six there are six-limbed paths and ten-limbed paths and uh there are lots of lists within buddhism as well which we'll look at a bit more when we look at um come to do the buddhism course in uh in a few i don't
0: know people months. don't know that yet oh don't i know no uh, okay they, they may have uh, uh, you guys you may have wondered why this is ancient wisdom for modern life number one so ancient wisdom for modern life number two is up and coming and it is the buddhism part so yeah um and 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 who knows
1: where we'll we'll go um in in the future but but yes so the niyamas uh, the yamas and niyamas are are these lists of do's and don'ts um and they they exist in lots of different systems and and really we can we can adhere to these ones if we mm-hmm. like them. We can pick ones from different systems. They often have very similar, um, you know, they're, they're often very similar, and they they often share some of these core um, tenets. So, ahimsa is more or less a, a, in in most of them. And in fact, um, I think Gandhi said that you know the <laughs> the two he really picked were uh, ahimsa and satya so truth mm-hmm. and a non-violence so um so so yeah it, but you it you know that if you look around um that among some of the sources that uh, there are there are others or oh, you you know we're also intelligent human beings that that can add things that we feel are really important and try and practice them and then really I think it it, it is about practice and I think that's what Patanjali says that it is about practice and he he refers to tapas a lot so it's about that discipline but it's about just going back to practice and of course what he's talking about is not so much you know doing your daily headstand or or whatever physical although that is also a part of the tradition but it, it is it is more about the meditation practice and the yamas and niyamas are there as a way to prepare yourself to meditate well so probably I suspect if you've gone out and uh done harm um and I don't know killed someone stolen something um live in a really messy stinky room and feel a little bit grumbly you aren't going to meditate in a calm, clear way, and you will therefore never reach liberation. So, the, the, the purpose of the yamas and the are to to live well, but also to um, to prepare yourself for meditation i think in buddhism there is a lot more focus and emphasis on that sense of community as well so the the sangha is something mm-hmm. that is uh very central to buddhism which doesn't appear so much within mm-hmm. um patanjali's yoga <laughs> sutras so it does seem mm-hmm. to be a very individual path so this is what you do if you uh if you want to achieve liberation and and it's it it's quite interesting because is it what is it is it a uh, a manual for how we practice or or is it describing the the state of yoga because yoga is both the means and the end um so it, it, there are lots of of questions and it's also the other interesting thing is we we sort of link some of these to religions and god comes into um patanjali but um as as we know there are there are multiple multiple gods with it from the indian subcontinent like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and you can you kind of pick the one <laughs> that speaks to you or there are there are hierarchies and all sorts but in fact what what patanjali says is as he sort of refers to god as a more as a greater power so i think when he talks about there's a uh within the um Within the guidelines, there he talks about Ishvara Pranidhana, which is surrendering. But, but actually, it's surrendering to God. So sometimes, uh, and, and we talk about this. We have our own version. Then we let go and let God. So, uh, but this isn't any one particular God. And, and you know, potentially would have had his pick of God. So he's not saying chant the name of Krishna uh, or or anything. But what he's saying is sometimes you've got to accept that there that there is a bigger picture and you are this little, one little element in this huge big picture mm. um, and it, it's not so it's it, it is non-sectarian it doesn't refer to any one god it's just so sometimes you you know you are looking to something that is bigger and wider and stronger of the source. I mean you, you can call it um what you will and, and this is also where I think sometimes people wonder about om and why why we chant om and, and and om is chanted both in Buddhism and um and in Hinduism, Jainism. I mean there are lots of um religions growing out of the Indian subcontinent that chant om, but it is it's also uh there are other places in which we can hear these sounds so amen is often considered a kind of linked into this sound i think people have done um all sorts of um research into the sound of the universe and and whether it does sound like omen. i think people have recorded i'm not quite sure how they've done this but i read about this the sound of the universe and it does sound like om. but in fact one thing that, that that potentially advises is meditation on Om, which is also, in a sense, the universe. It is the sound of the universe. So, so which is why, you know, people are sort of thinking, well, are, are we chanting? A are we chanting a something that particularly belongs to Hinduism or Buddhism?" But it, it, it crosses that, and it can uh, be go beyond that as well so so right there are loads of questions i'll just stop talking and we should look
0: at some of the oh my goodness have you seen this one how do we reconcile the need for yoga to help others with for example economic issues when we need to disregard those four advices when it's those people who cause the problematic structural issues of society like racism and poverty (laughs) raki
1: I, if I knew that uh the the answer to or the, the solution to this one I I would be I would be a lot wiser and I I would
0: I would You're pretty wise I <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think so if we if we actually look at um going back to the the, the, the text we are looking at um Well, we can look at this in two or three different ways if we relate it to what is said within yoga um, philosophy. And and so one thing is that I think we we need to concern ourselves with ourselves and make sure that we are adhering to the path and I think not get caught up or, you know, with someone else's um, path. And by that, I don't mean... Practicing complete indifference and not being uh, outraged when people um, do something that is worthy of of our outrage, but I think a part of it is to um, is to focus on our own path. And I think the the um, yeah, there are people who cause the problematic structural issues of society like like racism and poverty well i i think there's nothing within the sutras that says says don't don't also um be socially engaged and i think that's what we were in fact more so more than in the sutras in the Gita, um yeah. that's what the the whole text is about so just to mm-hmm. kind of brief I'll do a really brief summary of that. There is uh <clears throat> that's about a battlefield and um it is the the there's a guy called a uh, a warrior and, uh th- this is a battle it's was one of these wonderful things that have, has now got embedded in myths. so there were and there was just loads of amazing larger than life characters but really what it boils down to is that arjuna has to Fight his cousins, and so when he looks across the battlefield and he sees all his cousins there, and the, the his teacher, um, and and I think that the teacher in in that society was a lot more important than, than the way we regard our teachers now. So, you know, it's his his guru, and he sees his family, and he he knows that if he fights, there will be loads of bloodshed. Mm. And he's with his uh his friend Krishna, who is. Uh, considered to be an incarnation of God and he says well look I can't do this I can't it's wrong it's I'm going to kill people and I can't do it and Krishna was like well you know what it's your duty to do it and you have to act in the right way but without being attached to the outcome so it's about doing the right thing and then not being so attached to the outcome that you and and that's that's where we think about the attachment to desire it's, you just need to act in the way that is the right way to act and then a little bit you have to to let go I mean I, I, I don't know um and um, Alex if I if I fully once I probably haven't answered that but I, I just think it's that it's really pertinent to our times actually. I was going
0: to say, that's where we kind of get that skill in action, isn't it? Yeah. That phrase, like yoga is skill in action. Yes. Because it, uh, it's quite interesting. They've kind of got different definitions in the different texts. So Patanjali's got a different kind of view of what yoga is to this kind of, which is more about what the actions of a yogi are
1: yeah absolutely and in fact the whole of the gita has got i mean so this is there are these and 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 maybe I, I will i will try um over the next few i'm i'm not promising when but i will try and put together a blog about the, the the gita as well just a really brief introductory uh one a bit like i i did with um the the patanjali's yoga sutra but um i think that um with the Gita, there are lots of so so Arjuna is saying, "No, I am not going to do it." And and mm-hmm. Krishna says he he gives it, he and he talks about the yoga of quite a lot in that text. Mm-hmm. So he he sort of says, "Okay, well he talks about knowledge, he talks about devotion." So he goes through a lot of different ways in which we can practice, but and in the end, Arjuna does go onto the battlefield and, and fight. And and, and the, 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 the Gita is also, it's um, more so, that, so the Yoga Sutras are, are more about this practice of meditation, whereas I think with the Gita there's a lot more about, as you said, Kat, taking action and, and that sense of um, skill in action. But it's it's also about that, you know, how we, lead our lives our duties so we often talk about the dharma in Mm -hmm. in um yoga but but with the gita it's also about your svadharma or your which Mm -hmm. is about your own path so what is Mm -hmm. the right path for you and what might be your path is not necessarily my path so uh, and then i yeah
0: well uh, and 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 that's um and great question, that leads from, great question from Jada, would that mean for example speaking up about racism for example but not be too attached to how others would take it on and I'd say exactly that, exactly that, it's like um, for me I love the Gita, like for me the sutras are a bit sort of, they're, they're a bit yeah. dry. I mean it's, it's fun but they're a bit dry, Um, but the Gita is like This is the juice, this is where we get the ethics. I love that kind of um thinking about what's wrong and what right and that thing of like your dharma isn't my dharma. Yeah. And you don't know what other people's paths are. And that's the kind of thing, and that's the law of karma as well, because we all have to take lots of different things into account.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I I would echo what you were saying. So yes you can You can speak out um about racism and and you can be really nuanced about it as well, so when you are doing that, it is the right thing to do is to speak out mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. You can't make yourself then responsible for someone else's actions and reactions so how how they react or go on to act is. Well, it, it, it's it's their their karma, yes. and you know it's what you've done, the right thing. But also, you can you can be really nuanced about it. So, yes, it's a you know it's a terrible thing. Probably the right way to react is not by going out and um and murdering every racist you you can find. You know that if that is not meeting it skillfully, um, you know but it, it, that may in some ways take that problem away, but that is not skillful and, and and that is wrong. So that you have to meet these things skillfully and not be attached to <laughs> to the um to, to to the fruits of your labour is what um, what Krishna says right. in, in the Gita and um it was funny, funny i i i i grew up in in, in a hindu family so so i kind of the I, oh, I didn't read the gita till i was a, a lot older but but bits of it kind of drifted down and and so i used to think about this non attachment thing when i used to do exams and i was like mm. Yeah. But you know, you still say, but you know, if I'm really, really good, can I please get a good mark in this exam? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's yeah, how mean, it works. Um...
0: <laughs> yeah. Too too attached to the outcome there. Mm. But um and um, and we've had another brilliant question here. Um from Millie. Blue. Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm reading, is that the relevant yeah. elements? Um Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a brilliant question. So I absolutely love that. This is right up my street. I'm like, this is me. I'm leaning forward. This is, yeah. like, this is real yoga. So, so, and it is a really good, good question.
1: So, um, I, 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 I will answer. But I was just thinking. Um, what what do you feel, um, Millie, are, are, is the most relevant way to, to meet these things? I, c- I think we can look back to these texts. So the, the Yoga Sutra w- would be like, yeah, whatever, just meditate. Um, the Gita is more about act. But I think there is also this sense that a lot of ancient and there, there are other texts that we haven't touched on the the um, the Vedas and the Upanishads and, and and a lot of them are also so when you talk about environmental concerns the, that the sense of being linked into the environment and nature is um, is huge within within this body of um, philosophy um, and it's uh, so and and it's it's really difficult to kind of just say in yoga philosophy just because it's this very big broad broad thing at at which spans hundreds and hundreds of of years so uh, and you know all, all all the way till now so we are still developing um uh, you know, I don't know quite how philosophical we are, but we are still developing this tradition of yoga within the modern postural yoga that we practice. But, I mean, I would say just within uh, within the eight-limbed path, which is what, what what we're focusing on in this course. So just within that, you can already see that there is, there are a lot of relevant things. So we, we talked last week with um, Vidya about ahimsa, Um, and non-violence but but you you will have been uh if you've been watching the talks this week we've there's been uh you will have um encountered Astea and Aparigraha which are around greed and um stealing and so when we think about environmental concerns I think Mm -hmm. those are so relevant we are we are stealing from from the earth and yeah. in every culture um i know in every culture we talk about mother earth so i mean who on yeah. earth goes and steals from their mother
0: and and behaves in this way i uh, can expect no repercussions well yeah we think be- it's all gonna be fine and and it's like sorry i'm now gonna go on one off you go <laughs> And it's like the greed of the um something that is intensive factory farming. That's yeah. just because we basically want to waste stuff. It's not to feed the world, it's so that we can waste more. And it's and that's just pure greed. And obviously that, yeah, that goes straight back to the sutras. And that's what the pandemic was formed by, really. It's like us being, you know, using animals in ways which you know, it's not it. It's not not. Na- it's not been the way, and it's not. It's clearly not the right way. Whatever you think the right way is, it's not um, like that. <laughs> and, and hence, we we get
1: that you know, it's
0: the COVID
1: nineteen is as uh, it's like what they're calling the zero n- n- nautic transfer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we, we are cutting mm-hmm. down habitat. Yeah, the, the is, safer for animal, well Where are they supposed to go? I mean, uh, as a small child, I I grew up in in Kenya, and I used to go to school every day, and I used to see giraffes on the way, and you know there were monkeys crossing the road. Um, and and I, I I'm not glamorising, because so I, I went to school opposite the the national park, which is why I saw this. They they didn't roam the streets of central Nairobi so much, but when I have been back, um, my brother still, still lives there. And when, when I have gone back to, to visit, you can, I can see how much within my lifetime we mm-hmm, have shrunk
0: um, these environments. We're, we're encroaching on their world. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go. And that's just due to our greed.
1: And and in fact, if we continue to to reflect back on the yamas and um and niyamas, one of the niyamas is um is Santosha which is contentment. So why can't we be content with what, what we have? I mean, why do we why do we have to go out and and um and get stuff from elsewhere? I right? yeah. And in fact, it's it's really Interesting, I read a book by uh so nothing to sorry slight slight detour of yoga philosophy I read um animal vegetable miracle I think i, I will look it look it up and post again um, by Barbara Kingsolver and so that was in fact what you were talking to video about last mm-hmm. week um cat was uh, it's the writer goes back to her farm and she decides that she is only going to eat what she grows and if if she wants to eat animals she has Mm. but not only does she rear them Mm. she sees sees it all all the way through to till the end and she's got a child and she said it it was really interesting seeing how the child reacted because the child was actually quite like this one's my pet and this one isn't i think they were talking about lambs or, or maybe there were piglets at the time, but you know it. It was, it, and she said it, it is only fair to do that. If I want to eat pork, then then I have to yes. do that. Yes. And but what the, the one thing I I learned that I, I was actually going to talk about in that book was how much is added to um, to a lot of. Um, a lot of the, the the things we consume which is unnecessary so the big thing everyone knows about is palm oil but there's also the 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 glucose syrup and and the corn syrup so you often see inverted corn syrup mm-hmm. on, on labels and the reason was that when uh, in America post-war and I think maybe post-depression they started to grow a lot of corn because mm-hmm. they were and, and these are the sort of things I think I mentioned this because we're suddenly finding ourselves in uh, Economic dire straits again, and so you know it's like we need to guard against the these sorts of things being repeated, so they mm-hmm. grew a lot of corn because it was a way to stop poverty so so here mm-hmm. is our very current modern dilemma it's it's no different to that dilemma at, that we were talking about in the gita that we, you know mm-hmm. we have poverty how do we how do we and and i, I I I don't just mean individual poverty. We are going to have, like, we're going to have to do something. But our economic policy can't be to grow a a load of corn, turn it into syrup and add it to food where it isn't needed just because, I mean, it helped at that time. But now, look, we're all addicted to eating corn syrup and absolutely everything, and we don't need it. Um, But but we're in a bind now because suddenly... We've got to fight. So so this is our current dilemma is how do you find a way to to change the systems? And I think we've been hearing that an awful lot, haven't we? Yes. So we change the systems because it's um, it's not always um, there are some nasty individuals out there, of course, but it's not always individuals we now seem to be have become bound to um, to to these um systems i'm ju- I'm just going to keep an eye on some of these but
0: I, I, I can just go off on one so um yeah i mean so uh yeah and i i absolutely agree and i think that the only thing to do now as modern yogis is to do, yeah it's to go for system change. it's to sort of you know and that's obviously there were always problems with the system the system's always been problematic and it's always been up to um individuals who are interested in seeking truth, seeking justice, to um, to try to fight for the right way and to speak truth to power, speak truth again. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I, and, and, and it is, in fact, we can um, show these qualities um, in every way. So it, it's about not silencing those yeah. individuals that are... Speaking out now because that is that is not stealing their voice. So they have a voice that that needs to be expressed. So that's not stealing um, from them because of our own greed, uh, not necessarily our greed, but just you know as a as a society. So um, mm-hmm. and and it's interesting if we relate it back. Um, I think Millie had mentioned uh, the the. The pandemic—it's—it's um, it, it, not—it's not been great, has it? But it has taught us things as well. So I, I think you know, and it's—it's it's neither been great nor terrible. It—it it is a thing. This is this is where we find ourselves, and I think by by, and we and we now need to to move on. We find ourselves on this battlefield. How do we skillfully move through it without beating our chest? we have to find a uh, a way out um and and maybe by adhering to some of these things and rethinking them um for ourselves so I think um cat, when we were um speaking uh, earlier about something else and you you were you were talking about having watched the the brahmacharya um mm-hmm. film as well and 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 I think we were sort of talking about what what is the the relevance of that to, to modern life and that modern life and I was thinking with with all of these things they, that although ahimsa is the one that still seems so resonant some of them might feel like oh a little bit but I think as vidya was saying it, it, if we probe it's not just about the surface i don't mm-hmm steel or mm-hmm. I, I you know it, that Brahmacharya is about um celibacy, celibacy. um yeah, it's, celibacy. It, it's also it can be translated as uh as energy restraint as well so yeah. yes it, it is yes pure pure translation it is about uh about celibacy mm-hmm. but it's all about mm-hmm. managing your energy skills mm-hmm. So how do we how do we do that uh, about stealing? And I think Vidya mentions this in, in her videos as well. It's it's about stealing time. Are, are are we conscious of doing that? And I and I think within this and I hopefully this is changing. This used to like drive me nuts. Was our whole um, culture of being busy. Being busy is just about stealing and not managing your energy yes. properly. Both those things, um, you know. It, by being I used to, um, I used to work in an office, um, mm-hmm. and, but, but there were people, and, and, and so I, I faced a situation once where there was someone that, that for some reason felt that they had to stay till very late very late very late and, and for some reason I felt I couldn't go I was sort of her her boss <laughs> but I said it was it was the it, it did become really difficult and in the end it was like you don't need to stay please stop being busy I am not impressed by the fact you are spent just putting in too much time and really she was ste- what well, she was stealing from her own family she was stealing my time certainly which you can tell i still feel that um but but this is the thing is that there stealing is not always about objects it can be um just going back to to uh that we were talking about racism earlier it, it's about maybe also stealing people's platforms and voices so it, i think it's just about being aware that we can interpret these things. Doesn't say much. Um, you know, the the, the Yoga Sutra's not going to give you the answer by just reading. You can read all the commentaries, and they are they're, they're they are interesting, but you know, the a, a commentary someone wrote in the 15th century or the 12th century or the whenever may not be quite as relevant. So you need to spend some time rethinking these up. We are also living where we are and this is this is just my take on it we're living in this time in in this place having these experiences we need to read and understand and then think about what does this mean to our lives and Mm -hmm. how can we incorporate these teachings in a way that is is relevant um to our lives some of the the old rituals may not serve us some some of them are fun some of them may serve us some of them may not but but there is there are things that serve us so we need to um to consider those as well um i'm going to just check um what else we have here so yes Al- alex is saying not letting ourselves be overwhelmed by our desires to the point of a kind of lack of sanity yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um Jade saying it's so challenging living in a cu-. yeah mhm oh i i i I've, i it is it is this is one of the things that actually drives me nuts that are addiction and i think it is an addiction to being busy and being really productive and in fact a lot and it's sad because uh, I unfortunately think that yoga, the modern postural yoga, the, the yoga that we teach and practice, is also a victim to this. So it's a bit—it's a bit of a case of do some yoga, kind of feel a bit better, and then off you go. Now you're feeling, you know, not completely drained and dead mm. and everything. Off you go. Let's just keep working really hard for—for for
0: what? And it's also our obsession with productivity that yeah. I think is a problem in and of itself as well. It's like, what are the most productive things to do? And as an entrepreneur and in the tech world, this is something that's very, um, you know, there's people who are always trying to, you know, there are hacks for everything. There's a life hack for things, and you just sometimes things just just calm down and grow some vegetables. And
1: yeah, and and so yes. Jade is saying any any advice? And I, I think it is really hard, particularly when when you are working. And and also mm-hmm. sometimes I think we are our own enemy. And I think uh I really suffer from that. I don't particularly enjoy busy I, being busy. I quite like not being busy, but I also get very caught up in things. Um and and in fact. Um, sometimes when I'm doing that too much I do try and ask myself am I doing this because I'm trying to be greedy and I'm I'm greedy about really things that sound really positive and good and are are not bad in and of of themselves and I don't be uh, you know it doesn't serve us to beat ourselves up and it's really difficult isn't it because I think at the end of the day we probably can't do it all um and much as I'd like to and I I am the worst proponent of all these Mm -hmm. things but I I think we can't do it all and so we've got to say what is it we're willing to not do or or that we're willing to give up or am I and so one, one example is just I really I really enjoy reading but I can't really every time anyone mentions a book that sounds brilliant I'm like oh yeah I'm going to get that so so I, I have got uh, loads of books that I haven't read, and then I hear about the next one. Go, oh, yeah, I really want to know about that. And so I get that. And and what? What well, you know? And and um, and now I've started uh, e, e you know reading e books because <laughs> I've run out of physical space. But maybe maybe that's the lesson is that maybe I should just read some of these things. And I should be really truthful and realistic about how much time I have because I know I'm not going to – I don't. I don't At the moment, I don't have the time. There are times I have time and there are times I don't. And um, I I don't think I'm particularly really dealing with your, your question here, Jada, but I, I think it <laughs> is about I'm, – I'm just having a little bit of –
0: You just, just have myself there. at the moment, but that's okay, Raki. But, but I think – I think –
1: really at the heart of it 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 is asking ourselves why and how and and maybe if you are in that situation not of your own volition or or there is very little you can do about it then maybe it is about uh, which is really hard um but it's about talking to people that are able to change things um and not in a very you know you might you might not just say look this culture of busyness is really toxic. Let's stop it right here. But, you, you know, it might be
0: that there are little changes. We can so for me, I think it would also be t- making a mental note of just noticing, just observing it. So, um, for example, what I have started to do is I observe, you know, when when in back in the old days when you used to meet people and, you know, you'd say, Hi, how are you? It was a very, for me, a stock response to say, I'm good, I'm busy. And that was that was how it was. And now I'm sort of noticing those sort of little things that I was doing. And I'm noticing it in other people. And maybe in an organisation, in the people you know, in the people you meet, you know, it's sort of maybe just questioning it, thinking about it, just saying, "Oh, busy, gosh, you know," and, and then maybe just starting a conversation about what that actually means and which bits are, you know, which bits of it are leading to contentment. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and and I think maybe it. Uh, so i'm really glad you brought up contentment because um i, I think uh, not that not, you know one should love one's yamas and niyamas all the same and not have a favorite but i, I do i love the notion of contentment because it's really challenging as well and and, and in fact mm. um that's that's the one thing i like to to try and do is is practice contentment and contentment is not about i mean you know it, it, in the Buddhist tradition, um, the Buddha talks about mudita, which is sympathetic joy, so it is that upsurge of, of joy, but he also talks about metta, which is loving kindness, so these are these positive um, emotions, but contentment, for me, is not quite the same as joy, but it is that underlining, underlying kind of base for things. and. Uh, I think so often, particularly in this, uh, this goes back to how we live in, within our society, is that I think we are fundamentally um, conditioned to not be content within our, mm. our society. So there's a yeah. lot of things telling us that we're, we, we're not quite right, we haven't got it quite mm. right. And, and in fact, maybe, you know, we probably can be well we definitely can be happy with what what we have um but that there is there is always striving and 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 i think Mm -hmm. the skill is in recognizing why you're striving for something and and really understanding the motivation behind it and i think in in um, one of vidya's talks she she talks um about the about getting the yoga catalog and and seeing yeah, it right. and I was like because I really relate to that I just I no, normally I'm fine I'm fine and then suddenly you get a thing you go god no. oh, I need that I need that I, I, I cannot live my life my life would be so much but really mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't but mm-hmm. yeah but
0: yeah contentment so yeah you're right Emma capitalism relies upon discontent you're right if we were all utterly content nobody would be buying anything Um, and we'd be completely blissful (laughs) yeah and
1: and then uh, Alex is saying a lot of people correlate contentment with complacency yeah
0: yeah
1: absolutely um and, and you can be content and still want to change things.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and see, be content and just but be able to see that out, the, out there in the world, things aren't perfect and there are plenty of things that we need to, um, to work on. So, yeah. Oh, and I love that, um, Dawn, you've been enjoying the classes with, with Vidya. It does make it really relatable. And I definitely want to do more things like this.
1: Yeah and and I think that's the thing is we need to think about how these relate to us and it is little things it's a, you know being aware of um people's uh time people's energy our own time our own energy our own um I think last last week we um in the live there was a lot of uh, we really covered um thinking about um violence and 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 it not necessarily being big violence but little 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 violence and which goes all the way to the microaggressions we hear about um but also we haven't talked that much about satya and 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 truth and it's it's Mm -hmm. also about thinking about the nature of that so i think with all these things they can sound very big and grand but they can they really are um i think um completely relevant to to our lives and we need to figure out really probe and look at a, a, a broader and greater definition and, and understanding of, of these things. And I think we don't live hundreds and hundreds of years ago. <laughs> we we need to apply them to the way we lead our lives yes. now. Um, yeah. And, and we, we do have these amazing tools. At, by living in this way, our minds are clearer and maybe we are better able then to see the nature of reality which probably doesn't rely on you know buying leggings that cost uh pounds with you know I, I think probably that is uh, you know not so necessary
0: for for our happiness and our our truth
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely and it, it, Listening to you, Raki, and being with all of your comments on this, really, um, it spurs me on to think this is so great that we're all together on this journey of working out what these amazing people so many years ago, what they have to do with us and our you know our crazy modern world and it's that it's kind of beautiful that now we can kind of try to work all of this out together and we're we're going to do much much more stuff on yoga philosophy and um just the things that we can all think about things differently because so i like that it's just it's not a this is how things are it's just this is one take on how what this crazy phrase without verbs might have meant yeah. And this is how we can make it relate to the crazy times that we find ourselves in. And this is how we can help each other through it. It's so important to know that we're all here for each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's that's the thing. I think philosophy fundamentally is just about figuring out how to live better and to be able to see into the nature of of the way things really are, and to to kind of accept and unpick some of those. So I, I think it can sound really complicated, and and, and I think it can be com- complicated. It mm-hmm. can also be really simple. So I think it, it is about really exploring it in the way that is appropriate for for yeah, us. For us, absolutely. We'll be doing plenty more of that. It'll be lovely to hear also what what you're doing and how absolutely. you are making it relevant for your life
0: absolutely. That is really inspiring um, yeah it is so. it is learning from each other so Raki thank you thank you so much thank as you. Ever. Thank I really love hearing your wisdom your love of reading has served all of us very very well so thank you keep keep doing the <laughs> I really Really appreciate it and love your time and I thank you so much everybody for joining us it's been utter pleasure hi there I really hope you enjoyed that so that session was me Kat talking with Raki Jasani about ancient wisdom for modern life and that was part of a Q&A, which we had with our movers, um, which was all about our Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life series. So it is never too late to join one of our courses. It would be awesome to have you on board. Go to movementformodernlife.com, sign up for your free trial right now, and you will be able to get free access to all of our courses including this Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life course, which has loads of interesting little tips and snippets all about the yoga sutras and how they fit in and how they're really relevant to our life these days. So here we are taking yoga off the mat. No better place to start than Patanjali. Okay, see you next time, guys.